heard of Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh and his followers, commonly known as Rajneeshis or Sanyasins, from the incredibly popular Netflix documentary, Wild Wild Country. Well, in today's episode, we speak with a former follower of the Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh cult to get a better understanding of how this society functioned, what it was like to live in normal society as a member of the cult, and what it was like on the famous Oregon ranch. We are joined by Annie, who wished to remain anonymous, where she explains how she first found out about the cult and what inspired her to join it in the first place. She also shares what life was like as a Rajneeshi in normal society, and she goes into detail about what it was like visiting the ranch in 1983, when she believes much of the footage used in the documentary was filmed. Now, I know this might be somewhat of an unconventional episode for us, considering that it doesn't really have much of a role when it comes to technology. However, if you're like me, then you probably enjoyed the documentary, and you probably want to get a better understanding of what it was like from someone who was actually there. So I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. The first question really is just like how it all began. Like how did you first find out about uh, Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh and the Rajneeshis? And what inspired you to join their, well, cult, I suppose, if you can, if you think it's fair to call it that. Okay, sure. We can call it a cult if you like. People like to. They like that word. So my entree into Rajneeshism, I guess, if you want to call it that, was atypical. It was very uncommon and unusual, I bet. For me, it happened because I went into the program of Alcoholics Anonymous at 16 years old. That's another story. But due to that, I ran into some folks in the program of AA, which I guess is supposed to be anonymous, but since we're only using my first name, I suppose it really still is. And so through there, even though I was very young, only a teenager, like I said, I met some adults, three or four or five of them, who were involved in the cult. At that time, we called ourselves sannyasins. That's what Bhagwan called us. So um, I guess I found that curious, interesting, attractive. They were a couple of people that I had connected with the most anyway and so i think that at some point i ended up going along with them i just was curious about it and said what is this all about and went along with them to some events casual events and that's how i was introduced in santa cruz california okay fantastic i i'd be so curious what was your first uh, reaction like when you first went there what was that like experience like <laughs> Well, my particular background, I was born in Berkeley and raised in Santa Cruz. So I've essentially had the most liberal possible background from birth. And so I guess to me in Santa Cruz at that time was very counterculture, very hippie culture. You know, this was in the early 80s. So it still kind of had some residual 60s and 70s feel. So I guess a spiritual group, that seemed real chill, fun. There was a lot of great energy. Didn't seem so unusual to me. So I just liked it and I hung out and I got to know more about it. Interesting. I can see the appeal there. Um, I, I get that. And you said that you visited the ranch in Oregon twice, but uh, you didn't reside there as uh, some members did. Now in the documentary Wild Wild Country that I'm sure like maybe our, our listeners are probably familiar with, uh, we see a lot of it focus on life on the ranch. I'd like to know what it was like being a sannyasin living off the ranch in everyday society. And were you like always surrounded by others? And um, 
did your life change much in society as a result of like um, you joining this group? Okay, yeah. Well, I did visit the ranch for visits. Um, and I can speak to that and later if you want to. But yes, uh, life outside the ranch as a sannyasin or Rajneeshi is brutal because we're very, very visible. So for those who may not know, part of the cult was to dress in certain colors, very vibrant colors, um, the approved colors, I guess, or suggested colors. Everything's suggested. You don't have to do anything. But we chose to follow that suggestion. So you would wear all red, purple, pink, or orange at that time when I joined. I think it started out as only orange. Um, so, and we wore a mala, which is like a necklace that has a picture of Bhagwan on it. Those are a couple of the four basic principles. And so unlike other religions where you might walk around in normal society and no one may know that you're a member of that particular cult or religion or group, we are very, very visible. So it ignited a lot of fear and suspicion in others. So everyday life became, it was really confrontational. People were curious, offended, scared, said, but you know, a number of emotions. So everywhere you go, that's what you're dealing with. Are there any like memorable experiences of um, people from the public where either like good or bad that you remember like getting um, in society generally when you obviously wore this kind of this outfit? Well, I got fired from all my jobs. That was one negative thing. Wow. Yep. Um, and also people, whether it's in public or maybe people that I know as friends or acquaintances. So if it's friends and acquaintances, I would get 21 questions. Hmm. Uh, and also I'd often have to hit, sit through their objections to, mm -hmm. to it, even though I hadn't asked what their objections may be Yeah, <laughs> doing it. I am, you know, those were some of the negative, uh, that's some of the negative fallout mm -hmm. is that you know, people want to spew their opinions on you or they did on to me. So I guess you find out who your friends are because <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, that's some of the negative impact. As I recall, I really felt it was kind of a trial by fire and kind of a, that in itself, I guess, was a spiritual experience. And mm -hmm. perhaps that's what Bhagwan intended, intended by it. I don't know, but that's what it was for me. Um, now I know what it's like to be part, in a sense, in a sense, I know what it's like, perhaps to be part of a minority group or a group that is, faces a lot of suspicion, prejudice, assumptions, projections. Now I know, I learned very early in life what it feels like to really, really stand out and face people's fears and prejudices. Yeah, a valuable lesson, nonetheless. I mean, did you find yourself um, surrounded by many other sannyasins or they're like few and far between in uh the society you lived in outside the ranch at that time i lived in santa cruz county there were quite a few at that time so i would go to events there would be a few dozen or you know 40 50 sannyasins there were a few who were my close friends so i was around them some but as time went by and the ranch became more established and uh, some of the controversy that you see in the documentary, the Netflix documentary, Wild Wild Country, as that evolved, then 
mm, it became more of a solo venture, you know. Mm -hmm. Now you you did bring up the ranch. Uh, I'd be interested to know, like, with your the couple of trips that you took to the ranch, uh, what were they like, and what are some of the like memories or things that you saw that stand out most in your memory? Well, I spent a week there in the summer of. 1983 I think it was so I was 16 and I believe that much of the footage that you see in the documentary of the celebratory you know large groups of people probably from that festival or um, one like it so the festival for us is a week-long celebration um, Bhagwan really was a proponent of celebrating everything in life even those things that we deem negative. So I jumped on a, bu a bus full of sannyasins from Santa Cruz to the ranch in Oregon, a chartered bus, and I was there for a week. And my memories of that are, I believe, if I recall correctly, every day we had satsang, what we called satsang, which is a, a few hours, two, one or two hours of music, meditation, being in Bhagwan's presence and energy. He wasn't speaking at that time, but he would be present in a very large hall full of probably thousands of, of us. And uh, I'm all of my memories of the being at the ranch are quite fond. It was uh, a joyful, playful, relaxing, spiritual experience. Hopefully you're enjoying the show. And if you are, make sure you subscribe and never miss an episode. You can find us on all your usual podcast sites, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, and a whole lot more, including YouTube. And we want to hear what you think, so be sure to leave us a review. Just search Brains Bite Back wherever you get your podcasts. To be honest, like from what I see and from what you're telling me, it sounds like, it does sound fairly appealing. I mean, one thing that came to mind, I realize is that meditation i don't know what it was like back in the early 80s or how like well known it was but obviously it's something today that is so popular and um it really seems like everyone or not everyone but it seems like very very widespread almost ubiquitous ubiquitous now and we we do know the benefits of it there's clear benefits of meditation in the early 80s i don't know maybe you can offer some insight but i don't know how prevalent that was and i can imagine someone coming along and showing like this practice which really does help and really does have like an impact must be so insightful and must have been like um yeah just a real gift like were you familiar with meditation before you were introduced um or you became a sannyasin i was because it's part of 12-step programs however bhagwan what i liked about being a rajneeshi and i guess a follower if you want to call it that never felt like a follower but a follower of bhagwan a, a student, a, a learner, I would say, was that he incorporated virtually every religion, facets of every religion, it was all inclusive. And meditation for us was not just sitting, you know, in a yoga pose or whatever. Essentially, as I understood it, Bhagwan's philosophy was make everything a meditation. If you work, if you walk, if you are going to dinner, whatever it may be, anything can be a meditation. But he also had kind of formal meditations. We had very active meditations. So there were various forms of it. 
And one of the requirements, I guess I'll just go over real quickly what I understood to be the four requirements really to be a Rajneeshi is that you um, wear the mala, wear the colors, change your name and meditate. And that's really all it was required. And even that was optional. I mean, one of the requirements was to get your mala and get your name and join, so to speak, and I sort of put that in quotation marks, was to meditate every day for 30 days. So that's what I did. Um, and that was a very dynamic, it was actually called dynamic meditation. It had three different facets. Uh, one of them was a very active, physically active facet. So it was not just meditation, but it was various forms of meditation and spirituality really that um, was intended to pervade your whole life. I definitely get the appeal to that. And I think that who knows, maybe when I was around that time, I could have been drawn into it. I say that I like, I don't know. I've never really been exposed to the closest thing I've been uh, to, or the closest thing I can relate to being at anything like that is I've, I've been to um, rainbow gatherings and burning man multiple times but that's even then there's not a strong religious element in either of those things it's just more of a an attempt of community so i i don't really know i don't really have much to compare it to but do you see any comparisons or have you seen any other comparisons in society or outside of like uh, this this religion this cult whatever you might call it in in life since since leaving this um not really. Maybe some facets of Buddhism, but I'm certainly not an expert on that. Mm. Uh, I think that our whole, you know, that's why I, I guess to me, I still don't see it as a religion or even mm -hmm. a cult. I see it as a community. I can see it as a very, uh, just a hub for spirituality. It was very inclusive. He would speak about Christian philosophies, Buddhist philosophies, Hindu philosophies, New Age philosophies. I mean, it was, and you really sort of um, made that experience whatever was right for you. Nothing was really required. If you went to the ranch and you didn't want to go to satsang every day, you don't have to go, but we wanted to. Um, we actually, and it's, it's the kind of thing that, um, I'm going to liken it to giving birth. If you haven't done it, <laughs> you don't I have know not. what it's like. <laughs> and I can't explain it. Um, mm -hmm. It's experiential. We had a, on that bus from Santa Cruz, it had, I don't know, maybe 30 of us. Uh, we had a reporter along writing a story. And um, I just thought the whole time how crazy it must seem to him. Mm -hmm. But you have to be immersed in it and you get it. It's a feeling. Mm -hmm. It's really not dogmatic. It's not uh, intellectual. It's just an experience. Very blissful, spiritual, elevated consciousness experience. Mm -hmm. I'd be curious to know as well. Um, did you ever like meet Bhagwan or have any words with him, or what was the closest kind of like proximity you might have uh, had with him? I did not have a one-on-one -on -one with Bhagwan by that time. Uh, he had thousands of followers and like, as you know, we owned the ranch in Oregon. Mm -hmm. uh, the closest proximity were two things. Each day we were there for the festival. Uh, like I said, we would have satsang. I believe that was every day and he would be present. So he's present in a large kind of outdoor hall. 
and you see some footage of that from the documentaries, you can see it's pretty heavily populated. We're all there. Um, and then once a day, as you probably have seen, if you've seen the documentary, he would drive by in his Rolls Royce and we would all stand on the edges of the road. Mm -hmm. Those experiences are like <laughs> taking a drug almost. I mean, it's just the energy and the is so intense. Mm -hmm. It's intoxicating. So those may sound like, you know, <laughs> they may sound like it's such so far away but you can feel it mm -hmm. and you can feel him and you can feel all those around you so it's a very affecting experience yeah almost like an energy in the air i can understand that yeah like if you go to a, a club for example let's say to dance and you walk in and it's just everyone's in a great mood the mm -hmm. music is pumping they're you know, there's a vibe, right? There's an energy mm -hmm. that's that's contagious immediately and puts you in a different mood. That's why people go. It's kind mm -hmm. of like, kind of like that. Yeah. Now, I I would also love to understand a bit more about um antelope in the sense that the documentary focused a lot on them. Now, I understand you probably maybe took the bus directly um to the ranch, so maybe you didn't spend much time there. But I would love to know if you did, or if you had any interactions with the residents there. I never went to Antelope. You're right. The bus went, well, the bus actually broke down part of the way, <laughs> way there. We had to fix it. But anyway, um, I, so the bus did take us directly into the ranch. Uh, it was chartered to do so. So I never had any interaction with the residents. The only exposure I have really to the residents which of Antelope, which I'm not going to say it shocked me, but it was a bit repugnant or mm -hmm. those folks who were in the documentary mm -hmm. who I felt were very opinionated and, and conservative and closed-minded. Mm -hmm. But I was not on the forefront of the liaison with the local community, so I probably can't speak to that very well. I understand. That makes sense. That's fair. And really, I'd like to know, like, how like did it come to an end for you like um and how did you leave well uh, <laughs> unlike the concept many people have of a cult that's going to draw you in and control you and never loosen its grip it wasn't like that at all whatsoever not for me um it was all voluntary and actually in my particular case i went to the ranch twice, as I told you, and I would have gone again, but for the fact that I got pregnant at 17. And due to that, I couldn't return to the ranch during the pregnancy because the ranch is pretty remote and rural and they and did not have the medical facilities at the level of being able to accommodate, you know, potential um, complications of a pregnancy or premature birth or something. So pregnant women weren't allowed on the ranch for safety reasons. So I was precluded during that time. And then of course had a young child, a baby, an infant. Um, so I wasn't able to return. And then as time passed, that's when the, I guess the cult started to break down and have difficulty within itself and, and with the community, local community in Oregon. So over time, it just really sort of faded and disbanded. And so I didn't really have to leave. I still 
I guess I never left. I never disassociated myself from all that I learned and loved and experienced there. I feel like I still am a sannyasa. Mm -hmm. I still am a Rajneeshi, but I don't wear the all the stuff. I still have my mala, as you know. Mm -hmm. uh, my Husband of 17 years was a sannyasin too, and he would often call me by my sannyas name uh, as well as my legal name. Mm -hmm. So I guess I kind of never left mm -hmm. officially, and it's still within me, and I've certainly never joined any other spiritual group. Okay. The only question I'd really love to know before we go is like you've seen the documentary. Uh, do you feel like um, there's any kind of anything that was I suppose, from your own perspective, like uh, maybe not represented clearly or maybe somewhat distorted or anything that you feel like it did uh, a good job of or potentially maybe a bad job of um, from your own perspective of like if there's any blanks which were left missing? From my perspective and my experience, I actually felt the documentary was, and of course there are aspects of the documentary to which I could not speak. They have some pretty high level sannyasins in there on that documentary i wasn't involved at that level i wasn't in charge of the legal team for example mm -hmm. so i couldn't speak to that i wasn't you know in any position of power really um but from my experience i felt like the documentary did a really good job of opening a window to what a, the experience of being a sannyasin was in my view the documentary did a pretty good job of showing the very I guess, redneck, conservative, mm -hmm. fearful, and prejudicial view of the antelope resident. Mm -hmm. And I also thought it was interesting that, and I appreciate that the documentary showed the bombing of a mm -hmm. hotel, which was housing sannyasins. That was their first strike. <laughs> they yeah. drew first blood. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that fact gets lost in the mix of what came later. Mm -hmm. I mean, there could have been much more significant loss of life. And uh, I guess there's kind of the assumption that we were, should just take that and sit down mm -hmm. and not feel that we need to protect ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not really very pro-gun or anything. <laughs> I'm not at all. So I, I wouldn't, I don't defend the weaponry and the militia and that kind of thing. I don't really concur with that mm -hmm. but i do think it's vital to note that they bombed us we had no weapons we had done nothing violent or aggressive and mm -hmm. they bombed us first mm -hmm. so i think that's a kind of a lost point mm -hmm. yeah that's an incredibly aggressive move yeah you and know, it's it's not health it's not a fair or healthy outlet of uh disappointment or anger for not for the system not bringing you the results that you want um yeah yes and not in a military situation yeah. in a public civilian hotel to my mm. understanding i think that's important to know mm -hmm. i think you're absolutely right um uh, that's it really for all my questions is there anything else that you wanted to share with our listeners or take this opportunity to that you think they should know or is there anything else which um you would like to conclude the show on? Well, I thank you for having me as a guest. I really appreciate it. And it's fun. I guess my parting words would be that this really never felt to me 
like a dogmatic controlling cult or religion. It always felt very based on love, humanitarian, humanitarian principles and spiritual principles. Yeah. That's all it was. I can understand that. That that definitely for me shone through as a, a real motivation for the people that commune like uh live there and yep. um shared those share yeah shared those similar ethics and vibes and intentions um and i also want to say thank you for joining me because um yeah this is this has been such a fantastic opportunity not only for myself but for anyone that's listening to i think get um a small glimpse into another perspective beyond what the this very uh wildly popular documentary um <laughs> has uh has shown us so again thank you so much for joining us and um yeah have a, have a wonderful day and i i hope that the the positivity that you've clearly adopted and learned from from this experience uh stays with you absolutely thank you for having me sam and actually i'll say one more thing mm -hmm. watching the documentary made me long for those days and miss it so much yeah i can imagine that would have made you very reminiscent of those times yeah yeah, yeah. Growing a company has many hurdles, from securing funding to expanding your business capabilities to ranking better on search, each business challenge is uniquely complex. The solution to these challenges is growth-focused digital PR and marketing, and that's where our sponsor Publicize comes in. Publicize sets itself apart from traditional PR companies. It does not charge large retainers or churns out press releases whether you've got a newsworthy announcement or not. Publicize builds on your business's online presence and gets high quality PR and media coverage for startups and entrepreneurs who are priced out of a broken PR industry. And for a limited time only, exclusive to Brains Bite Back listeners, you can receive a social media assessment as part of your package for any tier of service at no extra charge with this special promotion. To find out more, visit publicize.co slash bbb. That's publicize.co slash bbb. This is the end of today's show. Thank you so much for listening. If you like this and you want to hear more episodes just like it, then follow and subscribe to Brains Bite Back wherever you get your podcasts. We're also available on YouTube under the channel of our publication, The Sociable. Just search Brains Bite Back and you'll find all of our episodes there. We really love hearing what you have to say. So leave us a review on iTunes or on any other podcasting platform to let us know what you think. You can also reach out on Twitter at, at The Sociable. And finally, go to sociable.co where you can find all our episodes and plenty of articles on topics just like this. Thanks again for joining us and until next time, stay safe and stay healthy. Mm -hmm.